We've talked a lot about the Ukrainian crisis, but one thing we haven't talked about are the dogs of Chernobyl. And this week, we are revisiting our dear friend, Dr. Jennifer Betts, to give us an important and interesting update on what's going on with the animals in Chernobyl. This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to The Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And last week, we tackled the tough topic of the Ukrainian conflict. And this week, we're going to go back to a dear friend of ours, Dr. Jennifer Betts, and she's going to give us an update on what's going on in Chernobyl with some of the animals that she cares for. But before we get into that conversation, which I think you're going to love, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, you know, last week we had Dr. Ivan Zak, and he talked to us about, you know, his experiences being a Ukrainian-born vet and what he's doing to help his family and colleagues there. Uh, and, and so a lot of that is really about what's going on in the middle of sort of, of Ukraine. But I want to go back and revisit, you know, the dogs of Chernobyl because we had her on as a guest, Dr. Jennifer Betts, what, two and three years ago in 2018. And so I'm really excited about that. Well, that's four years ago. Oh, four years ago almost. <laughs> right. My math isn't doing so it's, great. You've got that COVID blink. So it's it's been um, almost ready to go to kindergarten since we had her here last, which blows my mind. It's been that long. And and the fact of the matter is, is that while a lot of things has changed between uh, now and then, I, I don't think enough has changed over in Chernobyl. So I'm really excited to have this conversation and to welcome Dr. Jennifer Betts back. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's very nice to, to uh, hear from you guys again, and I'm glad to be here today. Well, listen, you know, Dr. Betts, before we get started, I, I just want to kind of remind everybody the amazing, you know, CV that you actually have. I mean, you've done a little bit of everything. And, and right now, you currently are working with ASPCA, right? Correct. Yeah. So you're like one of their national field response vets or whatever. And I know Becky and, and you have worked together. But tell us some of the other things that you do and, and that you've done that I, I just, again, your story is fascinating. Thank you. Um, the other things, uh, pretty much, uh, I run a nonprofit organization called um, Visiting Veterinarians International, and we provide free spay and neuter clinics uh, to areas around the world that do not have access to veterinary care or limited access to veterinary care. And the unique thing about our organization is that we try to, whenever possible, go to areas um, <clears throat> where um, they've either uh, had issues with uh, some type of destruction. Um, in, in, for instance, we went to the Marshall Islands uh, where our focus was um, to look at the dogs there and also to get some blood to do some basic studies to see if uh, you know, the radioactive uh, issues with the dogs. Uh, also, we're combining that with everywhere we go, we're doing free um, 4DX testing um, to be able to get an analysis of you know, heartworm and ehrlichia and, and all, in these other areas that don't really have much uh, information on their effects. Right. I, I know you tend to go to the places where nobody wants to go and they're really risky places. I mean, you've oh, been wait, to wait, Hurricane. Wait. I have You're to amazing. argue with that because there is an upcoming trip to Fiji <laughs> oh. and there are several trips to the Galapagos. <laughs> and I am telling you, when my schedule clears enough for me to one day go to Fiji and the Galapagos, oh, yeah. I am I am here to take reproductive organs on those islands. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, well, Dr. Betts, again, today we're talking to you about your work with the dogs of Chernobyl. And I think that is through the Clean Futures Fund. Is that right? 
Yeah. So again, when we had you on back in 2018, you kind of gave us the lay of the land, like what you do. But I kind of want to jump right into it because obviously Chernobyl was in the news a lot with the Soviet reoccupation or whatever, the Russian (laughs) occupation during the Ukrainian conflict. And this just seems like a disaster waiting to happen. Tell us what's happening with regards to the animals that you've been working with over the years. Okay, well, just a, a brief uh, rundown. You know, we started in 2017, and we did three uh, annual clinics where we were able to spay, neuter, vaccinate, microchip over 750 dogs in the zone. Um, at that time, there were a thought to be around 1,000 th- dogs. Um, since then, I've gone back every year to monitor them, and the population had pretty much decreased to you know, around 300. I was actually supposed to be there in March. Uh, plane tickets were canceled um, to do an actual census um, because there is a population of dogs at right at the arch. That's where the sarcophagus, um, the big you know arch that they right. built over the reactor for. There's a population of dogs there that have had some puppies and have um, you know been been breeding and in- increasing. And and the re- that's the reason for that. Is twofold. One is that it's extremely um, uh, restricted access area, and so in the past three years, when we were doing our campaigns, <clears throat> we were not able to. We were only able to get access, you know, for a restricted amount of time, one day, and then we would go in there, and you'd get three dogs, and then the rest of them would take off, and then they're not there the rest of the day. They, you know, hide, um, and then our access is is gone. So we have that population there, and there were about seventy dogs that live right there at the sarcophagus and the, the power plant workers have been feeding them, uh, in 2020 and 21, because of COVID, we were not able to go there. Um, we sent money to purchase food and, um, continued with a dog feeding program during that time. Um, I had plans to be there in May to go and spay and neuter those, but then of course, you know, Russian invasion happened and everything just on a standstill. Um, everybody was captured. They were locked in a basement. Uh, the f- dogs couldn't be fed. Uh, it was it was actually a, a nightmare. Wow. A- a- any updates? Like, have you been able to talk to any of your colleagues in Chernobyl at all? Like, just about whatever's happening with them personally, or the dogs, or anything? Yes, definitely. Um, <clears throat> we it was it was very grim. You know, the first month, you know, just very limited information that we could get. Um, finally, you know, they had, they had kept the first group of, of workers for a month before they allowed them to, to, to shift out. Um, and how these people get to work is from the town of Slovudic, where they have to take a 45 minute train ride to, through Belarus to Chernobyl. Um, well, of course that's not going to happen. And also the train was shut down. So the only way they could get around is a, a four hour drive or uh, through boat. So they're doing shift changes in a in a in a similar manner or smaller manner, um, but the uh, we have been able to contact them. And in the beginning, we were told yes, we we're trying to during the invasion they were trying to get some food to the animals as much as they could, but unfortunately, not a lot. Um, so unfortunately, you know, seeing the videos now and the pictures of these dogs over the past several weeks, they're emaciated, their skin and bones. They were starving to death, uh, wow. unfortunately. Um, some of them have went missing. Uh, some of them have migrated to another area. Uh, it, it, it's pretty pretty dire. Uh, but we were finally able to 
the road, once they retracted from Chernobyl, the Russians uh, invasion, we were able to get down to that area just to the bridge where there was, uh, you know, it was blown up. Um, normally that drive from Kiev to Chernobyl takes an hour and 34 minutes, hour and three quarter, uh, took nine and a half hours <clears throat> to get there. And then that was just to the bridge. And they, they have since built a, a floating bridge so they can cross and then get the food to the checkpoint. So we've been um, piling up food at the checkpoint until just now we were able to get permissions to get in past the checkpoint to be able to feed the dogs in uh, the Chernobyl town, Duga, Pripyat, install a bunch of automatic feeding stations, and then be able to get the dog food to the power plant via the workers. Um, I got on the Viber chat and I contacted every worker that I knew and said, please, please, everybody grab a bag of dog food when you do your shift change and take it in. Uh, even even the ones that don't really care for dogs, they're like, why am I taking this bag of dog food? And everybody's like, just take the bag of dog food. <laughs> so it was pretty amazing that everybody came together to, to get these dogs fed. Well, viewfinders, I, I just got to I gotta tell you how remarkable this story is. I mean, think about it. In the midst of armed conflict, bombs, invasions, being locked in a basement, there are people that are still saying, how do we care for these animals? I mean, Becky, I, I, if that doesn't warm your heart, and show the power of the human animal bond. I I don't I don't know what would. Well, I think honestly, it's the least we can do for these dogs, right? That we that were abandoned, understandably so. Um, but we still have a responsibility. These are you know yes, they're feral dogs, but our population created them. I think it's incredibly noble to consider, and it's heartwarming to hear that you know even people who are maybe not animal lovers are still doing what they can to chip in and go above and beyond. Um, and, and I think that's been the overreaching theme of, of Ukraine in general. So um, I think everything is, is, it's just an amazing story. I guess my, my follow-up to that is there's the backside of things. So Dr. Betts, what's up and coming? What's forthcoming? When do you think you'll be able to get in? Um, what's the plan for the future? Well, Right now, we're continuing to feed. Um, right now, we still don't have permissions to get past the Lviv checkpoint. That's the area to go into the Chernobyl plant. Only only um, specific people, workers, can get past that area. Um, but which is fine. They're they're you know working with us. Uh, they're taking the dog food in and sort of stockpiling that. Uh, our plan is to you know when it's safe to be able to go there and I can go and, you know, check out the condition of the dogs and the ones that I can handle, you know, see, do a medical exam on them, see how they're doing. Um, uh, CFF wants to go, uh, my counterpart, <clears throat> Eric Combarian, he wants to, to go <laughs> May 15, but I, I, I am still up in the air on that. I just don't think it's really safe at this point because you don't know what's going to happen. Right. I, I mean, I, I guess that's the other part of this. I mean, what what is currently, as far as you understand, like the status there at Chernobyl? I mean, you know, the, we heard about the the Russian invasion and then keeping the Ukrainian staff on for an extended period. And then you heard about them, you know, all these soldiers, these Russian soldiers getting sick because they were doing some ridiculous things, <laughs> exposing themselves to radiation. And now they've pulled back. I mean, what's it look like on the ground right now? Do you have any idea? Well, in the Chernobyl zone, they have completely there's there is no R Russian occupation there at all whatsoever. Um, they do still occupy um, the power plant in Zaporizhia, which is you know, further <clears throat> south into the 
to the east, but um, they there's nobody there. So they're trying to get things back on track. Trying to they the problem was is there were a lot of landmines. Um, so they you know had to sweep the area for landmines. There was also so much disruption of the ground and everything. They've been you know shut down to do dosimetry readings to to find out where they are as far as you know what what is what is dangerous. Um, so that area, they're trying to get back to things as usual. Uh, it, it is difficult because they don't have daily access, to, you know, to the zone for the workers. So they're trying to, they're going to be there for, you know, extended period of time for each shift change. Um, but we don't know, nobody knows what they are planning, if they're ever going to come back and reoccupy Chernobyl. I doubt it. They they used Chernobyl basically as a staging area because it was a direct straight access route to Kiev and they weren't successful taking Kiev. So they're probably going to come at different routes. So I'm, I'm not sure. Right. Wow. I mean, this is, this is so frightening. <laughs> I mean, if you think about what's going on and, and the other thing too, just to, to be funny, is to remind you how dangerous what Dr. Jennifer Betts is doing. I mean, this is seriously high stakes. It was so risky by and large that the Russians were having problems with radiation sickness, right? Dr. Betts, that they were pulling soldiers out of there. I mean, this sounds, wow, this sounds really frightening. I, I, I mean, you're amazing. I don't know how you do it. Well, actually, you know what happened, uh, you know, unfortunately, a lot of these, uh, these are kids that, you know, weren't around in 1986 and they probably, and they also didn't teach it in their schools because, you know, back then they, they tried to hush it up anyway. Um, the Red Forest is an area that we call the Red Forest because that's where a lot of the fallout, uh, landed and turned all the trees, um, red. And so that is an area of really high contamination, um, so these uh, kids, I'll, I'll call them, they didn't know and they were told to, you know, set up camp and dig trenches in the Red Forest. So after a month, they finally get word that, hey, you know, you guys are exposed to a lot of radiation. They all started panicking and you get, you know, they get uh, psychosomatic, basically. They all start thinking they're getting sick. And, you know, and that's when they all basically, when they were treat, retreating, they ran to Belarus and went to the to the, uh, the hospital. Um, a lot of them, you know, there were some that were sick. None of them were really in there long enough to have acute radiation sickness symptoms. Um, but they were in there long enough to be able to have uh, problems later in life where they will probably develop types of cancers. Wow. And, and I remember the last time you were on, you were talking again about the Red Forest and those areas and, and all of the stringent measures that you were you know, having to take just to go in there. And like you said earlier, you only have a few hours. You can only get a couple of the dogs. They ran off. I mean, this is a real challenge just, just to do that. I can't imagine trying to run an army through there. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to say. I mean, Becky, this is really, you know. Well, you want... <laughs> it, it, it's, so, it's like a triple fold problem, yeah, right? Because yeah. we have this uh, war, right? Like, like we, keep, we call, It's not a conflict. It's a war. It's yeah. all out attack on Ukraine. Um you know, and we talked a little bit, I, I think, off the air with with Dr. Zach about these, to your point, Dr. Betts, these kids are young. They don't know the history as much. I guess what I realize when I talk to you is that I don't really have a good understanding of actually what this geography looks like. So when I think of Chernobyl, I guess I think of the Duke plants here in North Carolina that I know as being these one freestanding facilities. 
So can you just give us like a better idea of like, what are you actually dealing with this? How big of an area is quote unquote Chernobyl? Um, You said there were 300 some dogs. So like, can you kind of create a visual for us about what really this environment is and looks like and what you're dealing with? Yeah, sure. Um, it's yeah, I understand. It's it's hard to under, to to visualize if you've never been there. And um, basically, it is an a thirty. The exclusion zone is a thirty kilometer fenced off area that has uh, you have to have permission to get in <clears throat> access and such. Um, but there's also an extended area around that where there was some fallout. But the part that's actually uh, controlled is the exclusion zone. You have to go through a checkpoint to get into the exclusion zone. Uh, in Within the exclusion zone contains the power plant itself. Pripyat, which is the town that everybody lived in in 1986, that is the condemned town, you know, that you see pictures with the Ferris right, wheel right. and all that. Um, that's in there. The Duga radio, radio, radar station. There's also Chernobyl town itself um, or Chernobyl city, we call it. And that, uh, there are some settlers that have, um, you know, moved back into the area. They also have some offices to, that they work at out of to, um, for the zone. There's also the, the eco center. Um, so there are some things going on in Chernobyl in this exclusion zone. There are some people that do live and work in there. Very few, less than 300. Um, but this is a very large area. Um, but there's also another checkpoint. Once you leave, uh, once you're in the zone to be able to get into the actual power plant grounds, uh, that's the Lviv checkpoint. And also to get past there, uh, a lot of the tour groups don't get to go there. Um, some of them do, <clears throat> but uh, then you're actually into the actual working zone and it is an industrial area. There's, uh, there's stuff everywhere. There's, um, you know, things you can trip on, fall on. So you can imagine our catching team, <laughs> Uh, you know, I told them bring yeah. heavy boots, all of that. Wow. I mean, I mean, so it's, it, it is like the pictures, obviously. Uh, I mean, are there barbed wire fences around these exclusion zones or there armed guards? Like, I guess, like, do you have to show a pass? Like, how does that work? There is, you know, to get past the checkpoint, they're, they're checking you for radiation contaminants. You have to go through monitoring things. Um, once you're within the zone, you know, you're, you have to wear long sleeves, long pants, you know, even in the summer, because those are their rules. They don't, you know, they don't want the dust that's kicked up to fall on you and, and get you sick. Um, so you have to abide by their rules. Um, there isn't really armed guards or anything like that, um, but they do have their their main thing is to control the, the contamination. Um, so they have uh, they also have a cafeteria set up for the workers to, to go and in, in, during the day. And that's where a lot of the dogs hang out. And that's where the, the the workers would come out and feed the dogs with their own food, you know. Wow, that's amazing. Well, in addition to your work in Chernobyl, I mean, obviously you help out all around the world whenever there's a crisis. Are you talking to other colleagues that do other types of rescue, shelter work, whatever, you know, that are, that's happening right now in Ukraine? I know that, you know, there's been a big concern about some of the zoo animals in these areas that are, are under bombardment. I mean, are you talking to anybody out in the field about what else is happening? Um, yes, I'm, you know, I've connected with a lot of organizations and especially to, to be able to get dog food, you know, it's one thing to say, oh, I'm going to send you some money so you can purchase some dog food. Okay. Where, and how do we get it to these places? So you have to work together with all of these organizations and a lot of them have come together. Um, unfortunately I don't know a lot about the zoo animals just from what I've read on the internet, um, you know, with those organizations, but, uh, it's, it's dire. I just, 
right before we got on, I was on a conversation with uh, a person in Kiev, and she's like, we're in Kiev right now. They're car Kiev. They need tons of food. The food's not getting there. You know, is there anything that you can do to help? So when we finish, I will probably be on the phone for the next two hours or the internet next two hours trying to see if I can get some food for, for her. So, so I think that's going to be the biggest thing takeaway for us from this is what can we do to help? What can everyone do to help? For I know, you know, we'll we'll have all the show links. You have Dogs of Chernobyl. Is that d- still in existence in its own entity? Dogs of Chernobyl is actually our program. Um, Clean Futures Fund is the organization, and we have three programs underneath. Clean Futures Fund. We have Dogs of Chernobyl, which is our biggest one. We have our children work or children healthcare, which are the children of the people, the, the workers that have had some issues. And then our healthcare program, which are we provide medicines and such for um, some of these uh, people that date back to 1986. <clears throat> so again, are you looking for financial donations? I mean, how how can viewfinders help? Because obviously, I think a lot of us are out here, you know, feeling a little bit helpless. We're, you know, we've donated some money here and there. I mean, you know, Becky's done amazing things, but you know, what what can we do to help you? Um, so, you know, I would say the best thing would be to find a reputable organization. Um, Clean Futures Fund. We we restrict our help, or at least our our mission is the Chernobyl area. So basically. Slavutich, Ivan Kiev, um, uh, Chernihiv, and the Chernobyl Exclusion Zone. That's kind of our area where we're able to access and get stuff to. Um, but there are lots of other areas around um, Ukraine that, that need help. Um, so donating to um, the Clean Futures Fund will definitely help a lot in, in our area. Um, there are other organizations, um, uh, Breaking the Chains, um, uh, Greater Good, uh, that are helping other areas around um, the U- Ukraine, where especially these areas that were hit extremely hard, bombed, um, people have still stayed and are you know trying to to do what they can, and and it's difficult to get get food and supplies. You know, it's supplies for the people as well. You know, medicines and diapers and such like that. Wow. Well, on the other side of this, let's assume you know that this we get this resolved uh, fairly quickly and peacefully. What do you see? You know, your continued work with the Chernobyl dogs. I mean, like, is this? I mean, I'm assuming this is going to last for decades or more. But like, what's still the long term goal with with this project? So our long term, our goal was to see if we can get as close to 100 percent spay and neuter as we possibly can, and then switch over <clears throat> to just basically just a monitoring. Uh, feeding program. We've always done the feeding program and then just yearly visits uh, to to look at them. So our big, our thing would be to go in uh, when we're done and things are, you know, hopefully back to normal and take a census of the dogs, what conditions they're in, you know, find which ones that are, haven't been spayed and neutered. I'm sure there's going to be new puppies because dogs do what they do. And then try to go back to our original plan of hundred percent spay and neuter and provide them the best care that we can for their life. Uh, they can't be removed from the area, um, at least the adult dogs. Um, and so we're trying to make it the, the best uh, possible environment for that the, they can live in through the rest of their life. Are, do you have any new concerns considering there was, you know, digging up of the soil people in the area? I mean, I understand the concern that they're very skinny and they haven't um, been able to eat, but are there new health concerns you're worried about because of people unauthorized being in the area? 
just increased contamination, which if they're ingested, it could have more long-term effects. You have to really be exposed to that for a long period of time to get any kind of acute problems. But, you know, we don't know. We haven't been able to follow these dogs for years to know if the tumors and, and types of cancers occur in them. We are monitoring them now, and we do have some that have been adopted out, and we're following them for the rest of their life. But um, most of it is just um, what kind of repeated exposure are they getting that is going to have long-term effects. Well, did they did they run, do you think? I mean, obviously, there was conflict there was bombs and guns i mean did they leave this can they leave this red forest area could they have somehow gotten into other safe zones some of them that were in chernobyl town did migrate out into you know the next town over past, past the exclusion zone into uh, ivan Kiev. the ones at the the power plant they did move over to another area of the power plant where there was let you know where they didn't have the tanks and they didn't have all of the the people stored because they were scared um but they know that's where their food is from and they're scared you know they're hungry and a lot of times hunger bypasses being scared and so they've pretty much stayed in the area um like i said we've you know there's about 20 of them that are missing we don't know where they are uh there hasn't been reports of of dead dogs uh, that i know of um, in the area. So something happened to them, you know? Wow. Well, well, Jennifer, before we leave today, I know you're very busy and I appreciate you taking time with us. What else can people do? Like, let's say someone's listening today and they're like, you know, I, I would like to, to be like you, Dr. Jennifer Betts. You know, I would like to, to go and volunteer and work and help. Uh, what are some of the resources that led you to where you are today? And, and maybe some of the organizations they should reach out to, to, to see if they could help. Sure. I, you know, I started out with just a passion. I saw a friend of mine had uh, started an organization to go to areas to help um, do spay neuter and small clinics in areas where they don't have veterinary care. And there are a lot of organizations out there, not just mine, um, visiting veterinarians international, but there's, there's animal balance, there's vets without borders, there's um, world vets, a lot of these organizations that you can sign up for to go to these remote areas and, and, and to do a, a campaign. Um, so, you know, we'd, I'd be happy to point people in that direction. Um, we're always taking applications for, for our, uh, organization, um, with the dogs of Chernobyl, because we've scaled it down at this point, especially at this point, we're not taking volunteers. Um, we're, we've scaled it down to the point where it's, it's pretty precise. So we're only taking people who've you know, been there before and have a, a skill that we're looking for. Um, but there are a lot of organizations there that I, you know, would recommend, highly recommend. And of course, the ASPCA is also a great start, I think, for yeah. a, lot a lot of people. Of people. Well, listen, guys, uh, I, I can't thank you enough, Dr. Jennifer Betts, for, for spending time with us today. Uh, any last bits of, uh, of advice or stories or wisdom that you'd like to, to share with the viewfinders before you get back to helping the dogs of Chernobyl? Just try to, you know, support Ukraine in general as best you can, whether it's money or just talking to people or, or whatever, or just spreading awareness. You know, that's the biggest thing, spreading awareness um, uh, to, to actually what's going on. I, and I, I sit and I, I go out and I have a, a, a you know, a, a dinner at, at, at a restaurant and I'm looking around and it's like, everything's normal. And you don't realize what's happening back home. And, and I say home, cause that's my second home. Uh, and it just, <clears throat> it's hard to just go on about your everyday life, knowing the atrocities that are happening there. Um, and it's just, it's uncalled for, it's unjust, and, and uh, awareness is the big thing. 
Wow. Well, Dr. Jennifer Betts of the Chernobyl Dogs uh, Clean Futures Fund, she is doing amazing work, not only to raise awareness, but actually change things for the better. So I can't thank you enough. Viewfinders, what do you think about this? What do you think about the Chernobyl Dogs? Is this something that you'd like to help? Can you volunteer? Can you donate? Can you do something? If not, what can you do here locally in the U.S.? Maybe you can get involved with a, a group that does spay neuter or low-cost veterinary medicine. I mean, there's so many ways for us to all help and try to make the world a little bit better. Again, I just want to make sure that everybody knows that you can make a difference in this world. And again, people like Jennifer Betts are actually doing it. And it's just so reassuring. And I got to tell you, inspirational. Yeah, absolutely. You can also, um, we know last week's episode with Dr. Ivan Zak, big goal is to get food into Ukraine. So if you didn't listen, make sure you go back and check out uh, our site's got links to last week and this week, places you can go to help. We want to hear what you're doing. I know there's been folks out there um, buying Airbnbs. I know there's folks out there uh, finding ways to get money to Ukraine, finding ways to support. We want to hear what you're doing so that if we haven't done it, we can. Uh, we're really, you know, sending all of our cliche thoughts and prayers because, um, you know, that's what we can do. But in the yeah. meantime, let's find links and resources and ways to take action. So let us know. You know where to find us on Facebook and Instagram at Veterinary Viewfinder. Uh, you can tweet at Dr. Ernie over there on the Twitter at <laughs> Vet Viewfinder. And you can send us an email at veterinaryviewfinder at gmail.com. That's right. And guys, again, we'll have all the links in the show notes uh, to how you can help uh, Dr. Jennifer Betts and others for sure. So again, guys, stay safe. We will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. 